Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Cersei podcast. We're glad that you're joining us today. You're about to hear message audio from one of our weekend services, but before you do, just want to remind you, you can tap the link in the description or text Cersei to 88000 to get connected and stay up to date with what's going on on our campus at all times. You can give online, join a life group, or find more information about joining a serve team as well. You can also request prayer. We love praying for the needs of our church every single week. If you have a prayer request, tap the link in the description, or again, text Cersei to 88000 for more information. I want to talk about Mark for just a moment, and if you want to go ahead and be turning, you can go to Mark chapter 9 this morning. We are, of course, going to show it to you, but if you have have your Bible and you're taking notes, I want you to be able to be there. So go to Mark chapter 9. I want to give you kind of a little insight into Mark's life every week that, that we talk so that by the end of this series, you know a lot about the author and the context, etc. But um, Mark was just a kid when Christ was crucified. So his mother, as we talked about in week one, she's one of the Marys that gets talked about. Uh, Her home was actually the one that Peter went to immediately after an angel released him from prison. He shows up, they're having church in her house. So she is a believer, she's a person of faith. She was probably at the crucifixion. But he was just a, a child during the uh, crucifixion. But it did not take him long to hop into the thick of things. Church begins to explode. Um, it's every hand on deck. And so Mark is part of that, mostly because his mother is part of that. So because of her faith and having the apostles eat in his home, he's been exposed to high levels of leadership and the inside stories of, of Christ. And so if you study the early church, you learn that Mark made some kind of mistake on his first missions trip. So he's a young guy, he's a young thinker, he's zealous, he's on a missions trip, he makes some kind of mistake, there's an, an issue there. But his cousin, Barnabas, sticks up for him, keeps him involved, keeps him in check, takes him under his wing. Hey, Mark's going to be okay. Mark's one of us. Let's not take it too hard on him. Let's keep him in this. He's going to grow up. He's going to do well and all of those things. And he kept him engaged. What you might not know is the context that comes later that then brings us to his, his gospel. So what happens later is by the time Mark is hitting his 40s, he's living in Rome, which you know is a major hub, um, not not only geographically, but a major hub in Christianity. And so he's working very closely with Peter and Paul, and church tradition and early writings tell us that Mark was one of Peter's disciples. So this uh, then disaster strikes and half of Rome becomes burned, okay? So the city catches a flame, and a sinful emperor named Nero shifts all the blame toward Christianity. Look at what those Christians did. They've burned our city. They've burned these beautiful buildings, and Christians were already wildly unpopular in in Rome, and so now the Romans enter into a government-sponsored rage, And Christians everywhere begin to be martyred and executed daily. 
It was during this string of murders and executions that Peter was crucified. Now, we don't have this image in our Bibles, but we get it from Fox's Book of Martyrs that describes that Peter realizes he's probably going to be crucified because of his respect for the Savior He makes the statement, if I'm going to be crucified, crucify me upside down because I'm unworthy to be crucified in the same manner in which Christ died. So Fox records that indeed he got his wish and that Peter was crucified upside down. So Mark, being an apostle of Peter, he has started to collect the stories and the memories of what Peter and Christ had together, their friendship, what he saw, his relationship there. And so this became the backdrop at the risk of death itself that Mark feels the urgency to write what we hold in our hands this morning. So there's a lot of weight to this story, okay? So I want to go to Mark 9. As we've talked about in the past couple of weeks, um, Mark is a, a very straight talker. So he's a very bottom line thinker, and his stories are very much written out the same way. And this story is going gonna, is gonna to sound very straightforward this morning. This is an odd story, okay? And, uh, but we're, we're going to take a lot of truth from this this morning and apply it to our lives, but it is, it is very bizarre. Mark chapter 9, let's read verse 17. And a man in the crowd said, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Okay, so he cannot talk. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Verse 19, it's believed that he turns then to his disciples and he says this, You unbelieving generation, how long will I stay with you? How long will I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Verse 20, so they brought him and when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foamed at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been this way? From childhood, he said. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us. This word also means compassion. Have compassion on us. And help us, verse 23. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. And immediately the boy's father said, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him, never enter him again. And the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. I think this is a great place for us to 
revisit Ephesians chapter 6, which tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The story that we just read is an odd story. Maybe if you were there, you would not have even stuck around for the outcome. It may have scared you. It may have startled you to see something so bizarre and so rare and so odd that you would have ran in another direction. Somebody will just tell me about it later. I'll read about it on Instagram. And so you may not have stuck around. Maybe you're the curious type and you would have been like this crowd that ran closer to figure out what was going on. Jesus is up there doing something. Let's go find out what it is. But it's odd. And so I want to, this morning, break away from how I would normally break this down. I just Mark's giving us so many great talking points that I just want to go based on his word, not on, on any type of specific point that I'm trying to make on my own. So let's look first at the symptoms of what happens with this, as Mark calls, an unpure, impure spirit. First of all, it throws him down, okay? So there, there is a downward motion being involved in this. Anything dealing with the enemy, whether you start in Genesis or you end in Revelation, it always has a downward motion to it. Any spiritual fight that you are in, any spiritual conflict, any spiritual tension that is not brought on by the Holy Spirit is one of bringing you down. It is, it is one that tries to seize you and, and, and pull you down into a state of whatever it is, unhealthiness, toxicity, and so on. It has a downward motion to it. He foams at the mouth, it says, gnashes his teeth, pulls his teeth together, and he just starts foaming in his mouth. If you look at the symbolism here in, in Scripture, the mouth is always taught as an instrument. It's always taught that from it can come life or death. It's an instrument of praise. It's an instrument of encouragement and exhortation. It, it is an instrument that can be used in spiritual gifts, but it carries with it as, as a tool for humanity to help. And so again, I think the symbolism here is let's close off this instrument and let's just fill it with something that is, that is odd. Let's fill it with something that's unnatural. And that is the outcome of this, again, this spirit that has taken on. Third, it says he becomes rigid. And this word means unmanageable. Like, as his dad, I can't control him. I, 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 can't, I can't seem to put my hands on him because he's so much stronger than I am. He's... He's rigid. I tell him to do something, he won't do it. I tell him to come home, he won't come home. He's sleeping wherever, he gets tired, he's eating whenever and whatever he wants. He's, it's just, it's so rigid. And I think it's this, this creation of this social awkwardness, this oddity that is beginning to transpire in this boy's life and people can see it on the outside that something is going on in his life and they recognize it with their physical eyes and say, man, something is off here. 
And then lastly, which is one of, of the uh, different ones, is he says it is, it is a mute spirit. It silences him. So whatever this spirit wants from him, it's, it's to keep him quiet. Like, let's don't talk about it. Let's not share it. Let's keep, let's keep what's happening in, in the shadows. Let's, let's just keep this between you and me, this spiritual battle, this, this issue, this thing. Let's just, let's just keep it still and quiet. And I think you know kind of where I'm going with this this morning is that these symptoms, whether you address them to an, an evil spirit that actually has possessed the body or a spiritual attack, or just a war that's happening right now in your life. The symbolism is present from Mark 9 to right here on this cold February morning. Because the enemy is still trying to pull us into a downward motion, whether it be you as an individual, whether it be to destroy your marriage, whether it be to destroy your career, your rep reputation, our church, the next church, the next church, a community, a country, whatever you want to put it in, it's always a downward motion. And we see the outcome of that with our physical eyes. We see rigidity in people's behavior. We see that we love the shadows. Let's, let's keep it quiet. Let's not, let's not talk anymore about what's really happening. Let's not talk about the secret sin and the secret thought and the secret thing that happened. Let's, as long as we keep it in the darkness, then it seems like evil is satisfied. It's when we pull things into the light is where healing is and restoration is and forgiveness is and grace is. It's all found in the light of Christ. And so, but there, there's, a, there's a spirit at work saying, hey, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. If you do that, if you talk about it, if you say it out loud, you will be, and then it creates a fear for you. You're going to be talked about. People aren't going to like you anymore. People are going to say, I never thought that she would do it. I never thought that he was into and And, and when you bring it into the, the light, it is a place of healing. And so these are the four things that we're seeing unfold in this kid's life. And I love this question because in verse 21, Jesus asked, how long has he been this way? And I, I, I like this little trick, but when you go through Scripture, sometimes if you, if you want to play this way, um, when I read it, I always read it to the fact that God knows everything. So questions are no longer for him trying to discover. They're more about the confession piece on our part. It's like when the, when the uh, woman in Mark reaches out, I believe that's chapter four or five, reaches out, touches the hem of his garment, and he turns around and he says, who touched me? I, I believe he knew. What he wanted her to do was to come forward and say, it was me. I did it. I was the one in need. It, it, it was part of confession. It was the coming forward. It's the same reason why in church today we have you raise your hand or ask you to come forward for prayer because there's power in that. So in this story, when he says, how long has he been this way? I believe he knew. But what he wants is for this dad to say, as long as I can remember. Like from childhood. He's always been this way. He wanted him to hear it rolling out of his own mouth. This has been a long time. It's been a hard struggle. 
As a parent, I'm barely hanging on with this kid. And I love him, but he's, he's unmanageable. It's hard and it's scary. And there's something going on with his life that is, that is strong. And as long as I can remember, and I want to just pause there for just a second and say, is that anybody here? That you can point to something in your life that is a stronghold and say, as long as I can remember. Like as far as I can think back, it's been there. This thing, this thought, this action, this cycle, this problem, this issue. It's been in my life and it stays there and it lingers. And I think I got it licked for a while and then it shows back up. As long as I can remember. Jesus is wanting us to start the confession with just some good old-fashioned context and say, it's been a while since I've been myself. It's been a while since I felt whole and healed. And so the answer becomes, all my life. As long as I can remember, it's been this way. But I'm going to tell you that this, is, this does not bother Jesus. It does not bother the Spirit. It does not bother the Father. They know your whole story and have been there since the beginning. Nothing that you say in this room can scare Christ. He's been there the whole time. He knows the whole story. Verse 22. He says, what he does to him is he throws him into fire. And then he throws him into water. And he throws him into fire and he throws him into water. Now, there's a lot here, and you could actually speak an entire sermon just from verse 22, but let me just give you just a nugget, and then we're, we're, we're going to move on past it. This type of behavior is very scarring, okay? And so this is where my mind goes with this. It does not matter if the enemy can kill you physically, if he can scar you badly enough. If we can make the pain so intolerable, if we can scar you enough, hurt you enough, get you to look toward God and say, this is your fault. If we can keep a generation looking at our parents and going, this is your fault. If we can keep pointing to something out here, projecting our blame to it and saying, no, 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 this is, this is about you. And you did this. It doesn't matter if we fill a pew. It doesn't matter if we hold a physical Bible in our hands. Even the demons know his name. It's not the church attendance. You, you can fill a building and be so scarred that you never really enter into worship. And so you break this down a little bit between the fire and, and the water. I see just a little bit more there. When someone dies from fire, and I want to be very sensitive here because this could have happened to someone you love. When someone dies from fire, it is often the intense heat. They inhale the heat, sears their lungs, they can no longer breathe, 
and then they pass from that. When someone dies from drowning, it is not the water being in it. It is when the water is inhaled and gets on the inside. So I think the symbolism here could be that the enemy has a plan to destroy you, not externally, internally. It's not about what the fire does to your flesh. It's, it's breathing it in. It's not what water will do to your skin. It's breathing it in. And what kills us oftentimes as believers is taking what's meant to be external and internalizing it. It's what's meant to stay out here as an experience, but we bring it in and we hold it close and we say, this is what happened and this is why I'm hurt and this is why I'm discouraged and this is why I'm mad and this is why I'm bitter and this is why I don't like you and so on and so on and and the church this and the church that and the community this and the community that and you take one more step and one more step, you're just backing up, backing up because we have taken things that were meant to be experienced out here and have a shield of faith against them, but we have, we've, we've taken them in and we've held it until there's damage inside, fire, water, fire, water, fire, water, just breathe it in, breathe it in, breathe it in until it destroys us. We bring in what is meant to be out there. And in verse 22, so the dad says this, But if you can do anything, I love this, okay? I always love a good conjunction, okay? Because a good conjunction means there's more, right? Anytime you see and or but, I had a professor in seminary who would say, circle that right right there, circle that conjunction. That means that that, that there's more. Same, Same thing here. But, so he's rigid, He's foaming at the mouth. He's convulsing. Fire, water, completely unmanageable. But if you can do anything, that's good right there. If, if you're listening with spiritual ears, that's a great time to say amen. Because he's, he's saying, listen, there, there could be more to this. There's a sliver of hope in this dad's voice. But if you can do anything, then have compassion on us and help us. You know, the one thing that I, I've learned about adults is we really struggle to ask for help. We just do. This used to not be the case necessarily, but it seems like right right now, we do not want to ask for help. We're prideful. I can do it. I can do all of it. We even throw scripture at it. I can do all things through Jesus. So I'm just going to move this entire house by myself. I don't need anybody. I don't need movers. I don't need help. I don't even need a box. I'm just going to throw it in my, you know, my Honda Civic hatchback and make 50 trips over to my new house with it. I don't need anybody. I don't need help. We struggle to ask for help. We, we, we struggle to reach out, and it makes me wonder spiritually how many of us in this room are at a place where we need some help, and we're just too prideful to ask. Like, God, I'm in a place, and I just need some help. Like, help me. Like, desperate people do desperate things. 
Cry out for help. This is what he's saying. That if you can do it, then help us. And I love verse 24 because he says this to him. Well, Jesus tells him in verse 23, if you believe that anything is possible, his echo to that is going to be 100% of us. There's not a single one of you in this room that this story does not apply to. And this is what he says. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Anybody here with me? Okay, yeah. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Like, I got faith. I know that you can do it. I trust you. I love you. I believe your story. I believe all of these things, but there is something in me that's had life experience. Therefore, I have unbelief. Because I've seen it not work out. And there are things that I've carried, like, like this boy, my whole life, I believe. I believe the story is real. I believe that what, what you did is real. I believe that why, why you were crucified applies to me, and it's so rich and grand and great that I'm never going to understand it. Lord, I believe, but help the part of me that does not believe. This is the anthem of most believers. And here is what's great, is Jesus has this incredible knack of filling the gap between your belief and your unbelief. It is okay to come to Jesus with some unbelief. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to have it all shined up and polished. You can come to him and say, I believe, but there's a part in me that's struggling. I believe and I trust you and I trust the story, but there's a part of me that, oh man, it's been this way my whole life, as long as I can remember. Help my unbelief. Do you know the difference between a blessing and a miracle? That's rhetorical because I'm about to teach it to you. <laughs> no, Kevin, tell us. <laughs> Here's the difference. A blessing requires me to be in cooperation with God, okay? So like, I'm blessed in an area because I cooperated with God in that area. Like I, I separated my life in that area. I made it holy. I obeyed. Because of that, that part of my life is blessed. This is why you can be blessed in your relationships. You can be blessed in your business. You can be blessed in your finances. Because in those areas, you cooperated with God, and your cooperation opened the window for a blessing. Here is what a miracle is. A miracle requires nothing of you. It is just God showing up to give you something that most of the time we do not even deserve and he'll break his own laws to do it. He just shows up. It's a miracle. It's something that cannot be explained. And occasionally these come into our lives. But here's what happens is we get frustrated because we're like, I need a miracle and I want a miracle. And God has no plan to give you a miracle, but he wants to give you a blessing, but he's waiting on you to cooperate. Okay? 
So there are areas of our lives where we have to go, I'm going to obey here, and I'm going to do what you want here, and I'm going to live out how you want me to live out here so that I can be blessed rather than me doing what I want and that me doing what I want resulting in consequences and then me saying in the midst of my consequences, now I need a miracle. And God said that was never the plan. The plan was for you to cooperate so that I can bless you. Lord, help my unbelief. Now, let me begin to, I'm, I'm assuming my timer's not on the thing today, but I'm assuming I'm getting close to time, but I'll ignore it and act like I didn't know. <laughs> Verse 25, if you're there. Watch this. In the beginning, if, 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 if you walk away from something and you want some revelation of this, here's the part I want you to focus on. Verse 25. So Mark tells us in, in, in the beginning, this is a mute spirit. This gentleman cannot talk. He, he is silenced as a result of the spiritual attack on his life. But watch what Jesus says. Upon Jesus' analysis, it's a deaf and mute spirit, according to Mark. So Jesus shows up and he says, you deaf and mute spirit. All right. Now, here's where this gets really weird, and this is how you know this is a spiritual battle, because we have a deaf spirit who can hear. So the symptom of his being around is I cannot hear, but the spirit itself can hear because Jesus is talking to it and it's listening. So he says, you deaf and mute spirit, and he removes him, rebukes him, and says, do not come back to him. And I love that because he puts some closure on it. And I just want to take a moment and just encourage you really quick in this message this morning that there are some things in your life that God wants to put some closure on. If we'll get in cooperation with him, let our lives become blessed He's going to put some closure on some things in your life that maybe you have dealt with as long as you can remember. Enter him no more. Don't do it again. It's over. Today this is finished. These are things that God can still speak over your life and over my life. That this addiction is over. Ends today. This brokenness that is in you, it's healed today, it's over, it's finished. He can put closure to circumstances. And in verse 26, the Bible says, and he became as dead. This is not the results that anyone wants, okay? So let me just ask you a question. You don't have to raise your hand. I already know, know the answer. Have you ever prayed for something and it got worse? Ever just, I mean, you're like, okay, I'm going to fast and pray. You push away from the plate. You begin to seek God. And lo and behold, if that thing doesn't get worse, God, this isn't the way this is supposed to happen, right? Like, I brought my son to you, and now it's worse? Maybe I would have rather had him alive and being rigid than being away from this spirit and being dead. This just got worse. I think we've all done that. We've prayed, 
we look at it, we assess it, this isn't getting better. And some of you have had some things in your life that have become as dead. Maybe you've turned the page, maybe you've given up, maybe you've mourned your losses, maybe you've wrapped your wounds. And I realize that all of that can be a healthy thing. This is where you have to differentiate and discern which situation you're in or this will confuse you. But you've got to pause at some time in your life and say, is what I say is dead truly dead? Is what I'm supposed to turn the page on, is it really a page turner? Is God really done with that thing in my life? Or does it just look as if it's dead? And then the scripture says, and Jesus lifted him up. Okay, now give me, give me two minutes here. In the 1800s, the U.S., as you know, had all kinds of squabbles and battles. and many, Too many to recall, but whether it was from forcing Native Americans further west to whether it was our own civil war, but after those battles had a victor, there would be a small group of men who were given the order to go onto that killing field and with either bayonet or bullet, make sure that the enemy's wounded were really dead. So they would walk through the battleground and if anyone was squirming, if anyone was still alive, they would finish them off. This was their job. This was their directive to be sure that it was over. From that, that practice made its way into the pulpit and some of our early 1900 preachers began to make statements like this. The church is the only place that kills its wounded. Okay, That's where the statement comes from. And the point there was this, that someone could be as dead. And the believer comes in not with bayonet and bullet, but maybe with word, maybe with deed. And we hurt our own people. Like we know they're going through something instead of lifting them up. We talk about them. We force them away. We take the awkwardness of the situation and we try to put a tourniquet around it and move them on. So our preachers came up with a slogan. We're the only people who kill our, our own wounded. Well, if you're a sports fan right now, you've also noticed that there's a new practice among a team member, and it's this, that no one gets up by themselves. I don't know if you've noticed that, but if you see anyone get, get tackled, five or six guys will go over there and grab that person and lift them off the ground. And here's the cool part. That person who's on the ground knows it's coming because he don't even try to get up. He just lays there with his arm up. March Madness is coming up. You can check, check this out. Don't, don't let it pass by. You watch. Somebody will fall down. They will not even roll over. On, these, are, these are people in their 20s. Like, you can get up. But no, no. Three or four team members will come over, and they'll reach down. They'll grab him by the hand. They'll pull him up. Because there's this practice going on that no one gets up by themselves. And this is exactly, I want you to know, this is the mentality that Jesus has. And he became his dead, but Jesus like, no, no, no. Hey, get out the way. And he reaches down and grabs him and lifts him up. And when he does, strength comes back to him. 
There's no doubt he's in his right mind. He's changed his behavior. The situation is different. He's put closure to it. He has fully ministered to this boy and changed his life forever. So we have to believe if he can do it then, he can do it this morning. He can do it right now. And if you're in this place and you're laying on the ground and you've become as dead and your story seems like it's so confusing, you don't know what to do, just hold your hand up. You can lay there. You don't even have to try. You can say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Just hold your hand up. Because somebody is going to come by and grab a hold of you. And when it happens, strength is going to come to you. Your story is going to shift. And hope is going to fill in the gap between your belief and your unbelief. No person should have to get up alone. All right? All right. Let's bow our heads in this place this morning. I want to talk to your heart for just a second.